before we get started tonight, I just wanted to sh share a little bit more about our teens. And some of you have been contacted through email. Some of you have received some phone calls. Some of you will be receiving this. And we have several people that are already beginning into these teens and ministry. And we're going to give a little bit of clarification tonight just so that everybody kind of will understand or at least have some firm place to put their feet. You're going to be receiving, if you haven't already, on our teams of the telephone and also on the card committee. And, you know, this applies to the prayers team as well. And also, uh, even, I guess, across the board. But let, let me tell you this. You will be receiving uh, some names. And these names are people that are faithful and loved in this church. But they're people that need a touch sometimes, or people that might not be feeling well, or some people that God has just laid on our hearts for whatever reason. And what we're asking you to do is simply this. People say, well, it's, it's a team. What's this team about? It's this. We want you to be Jesus. We want you to pray over these lists. We want you to pray over these people. We want you to make contact with them. You know, people expect the pastors to give a call or to do something like that. But if a church is going to be the church, and many of you do this, don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you something that you don't know and many of you don't already do. But what we're doing is giving you an opportunity to expand the love of Jesus and the reach of Jesus within this congregation as you get this list. Now, some of you say, well, wait a minute. I signed up for the telephone committee or I signed up for the card committee. Why am I getting this? Because both of them are applicable. If you get this, uh, uh, these names, it doesn't mean that you have to call them and send a card, although you can. It just means we want you, as God leads you, to love these people in his name to show them from right there where you are that somebody loves and cares them and is thinking about them and praying for them. So whether you're on one team or the other, the list still applies. Now, every single week, I'm asking this of anybody who is on our prayer team as well, and we'll be contacting you as well. Some of you already have been. But here's the deal. This list right here, we should be lifting up every single week. You know, as you sit down at your prayer time, you know, especially if, if you haven't been in interceding prayer or something like that, people lay your hands on it. Mention these names. Call these names out. And as God really begins to lay a person on your heart, recognizes his spirit. If God begins to tug on your heart when you read a name, pray for that person. Lift them up in prayer. God is calling you to stand in the gap. So do not assume because you get a list and it might have multiple committees on it. Uh oh, I've signed up for all those things, okay? I know that can be a little confusing. All that is is we're saying that these are people in our church that we have called upon, that we have loved on. But you know what? It would be real, real special if somebody else would love them too. So we're going to offer those names to you. And just as you have been doing, we just ask you to reach out now. We don't want one person bombarded with 50 cards one day and then not hear from us for three months, okay? What we're wanting is for people to check on one another, to love one another, to lift up situations. And as they, you know, you call on somebody or you send them a card, they call you up, they reach out to you, or they tell you, look, would you pray with me about this situation? Or could you let the church know about this situation in particular? Let us know. Let us pray. Let, let me know. Let Miss Peggy know. Let Miss Beverly, let somebody, let them know. And we'll be happy to add them to the prayer list and we'll be happy to do what we can because saints, an opportunity 
which we have every single day. Yes, that's true. But an opportunity is right around the corner. The most holy of holy days for believers is right around the corner, and it is Easter. And there will be people in this house, and I hope that your prayer is this, that God will absolutely pack this house out. Pack it with people that either, you know, yes, we want believers here, but saints, we want the lost. I mean, if you, we have cards, and I'm going to put some more out there this morning, this this morning, this Sunday, I'm going to put them out there, and, and it says you're invited. Invite people. Let them come sit with you. Hand out these cards. Get them here. And we're going to be ministering Jesus, not only in song, but also in the gospel. It is one opportunity that we do not want to waste because there are going to be people on that Sunday here in this church that might not come, but maybe a couple more times during the year, if that. We want to be faithful and not miss it, right? And whether they ever come back to this church again is not my worry. I want them prepared for eternity. So they can go back home. Let's say they're from out of state. They can find them a church home or wherever they may be or find themselves. I want them to be in the kingdom of God and I want them to find a home in which they can be fed. This is not about Tennessee Avenue Baptist Church. We will fulfill God's calling for us here, but people, every church that loves Jesus, we're on the same team. Amen? All right. This has been an infomercial from uh, Tennessee Avenue Baptist Church. And now we're going to move forward. Okay. Father, feed us. Please teach us. Father, help me to be faithful in what I am sharing. I pray, Father, that even in spite of me that you will touch your people. I pray, God, that you have freedom by your spirit to come and to speak to us. And I pray that I would be a willing vessel to share. God, I am fallible. I make mistakes. But God, correct what I do wrong, please. In Jesus, Jesus, Jesus' name. The Lord, we pray. Amen. All right. So people, before we dive into the scripture and we are going to look back at, uh, well, let, let, let me do this. My wife pointed out something to me after Sunday night. You remember after we were going or, or as we were going through the Ten Commandments, right? You remember that? There was a commandment I left out. Does anybody know what that was? Thou shalt not murder, okay? There's a woman who's upset with her husband. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. kidding. I don't know why I left it out. And, uh, you know, my wife just asked me straight up when we got to the house. She said, is there something you want to tell me? I said, what do you mean, baby? She said, you didn't go over thou shalt not kill or murder is what that means. And I I said, I didn't. She says, is there something you're going to do or something that you just didn't want shared in church? I said, no, baby, I'll cover it tonight. So thou shalt not kill is one. And just in case people are really looking at the scripture, and you should be looking at it intently, the, the term there is the shedding of innocent blood. There are times where we must defend ourselves. There are times as God would command his people to go forth and they would have to conquer. And there are times that we'll have to defend ourselves. Police force, all those kinds of things that do happen, even in our families, in our homes. The Bible isn't saying that you can't defend yourself. The Bible is saying that that you may not have to battle in some way. But the Bible is saying that just the senseless shedding of innocent blood, thou shalt not murder. The Bible says the one who takes the image of God from the earth you know, and should not have done so, the Bible says, of him it will be required. So, 
Anyway, now that we've talked about that, I'm sure my wife will be happy, and she'll not suspect me of doing something wrong here. All right, so as we begin and we dive into this, tonight's going to be kind of a toughie, because we're going to see Israel in a very bad way. We're going to see God's called people in a bad way. Saints, a person, a human being, we are flawed, yes, we are fallen people, we are broken because of our ancestors and also for the things that we do. But being born outside of the garden, in other words, after Adam and Eve sinned, they were put outside of the garden, we are born separated from God and we are in desperate need of that relationship with God. But here's the deal, folks. Unless there is a heart change in human beings, there will be no real or lasting change. Let me say that again, and I'll explain why I'm saying this. When the Bible talks about conversion, what it's talking about is a fundamental change deep down in our hearts, at the core of our being, who we really are. Unless we turn to the Lord, albeit by His grace and mercy, working in our lives, because human beings left their own devices are not looking for God. But as God in his mercy reaches out to the human being and reveals who he is, as he gives us that grace, we do have a choice to make. And that choice is whether or not we will love him, respond to him, listen to him, repent of our sins and obey him. We are given that option. But until a human being does that, there is no real or lasting change in their life. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about and what we're going to talk about tonight. Miracles do not change people necessarily or fundamentally. So let me, let me tell you what I'm getting at here. Let's say somebody were to be in this church and they are healed of a disease. Let's say, pow, God heals them. Yes, they may be amazed. Yes, that may touch their lives. Yes, they may have a genuine conversion, but nothing says that they absolutely will. There are people that are healed and have remarkable things happen in their lives, and they still do not turn their hearts to God. For instance, I've shared this too. Let's say an angel were to appear in this church, a flame of fire, speak to us and tell us there is but one way to God, okay? And he, he, he explains that that is Jesus Christ, and we saw that. This church will be packed the following Sunday. It will be packed for quite a while. We'd probably have a hallelujah festival, regardless of whether there was legitimate revival in the church. Things will get attention. People will come. But that doesn't mean that people are changed. But the frightening and sad reality is after a period of time, that event will wane. And human beings, even after exposure to something like that, does not mean that they will be changed and they will respond to God and they will accept him. Case in point, what we're talking about here. Everybody remembers Egypt. We just talked about it, right? Everybody remembers that they are in Egypt, that they are in bondage. God raises up Moses. He goes in there and with a mighty hand in the face of the world, the most powerful nation that we know of in recorded history at that time was Egypt. That was the superpower. And they are under Pharaoh's thumb, the king of Egypt. And God pours out plagues that the other nations 
are aware of. They know what is happening in the land of Egypt. They also know the death of the firstborn. They also know the deliverance that took place. They also know that Pharaoh pursued them to the sea. They also, now remember, I say they, who is they? Well, that would be the world, but what about they, the Israelites? Obviously, they're in the middle of it, right? They walk through a sea on dry land. There's land on uh, the, the ground going through there. It is dry. The wind's blowing out. There's a wall of water on their right. There's a wall of water on their left. They walk through, and then they see the sea come back down and destroy the Egyptians. They're in the desert. They have nothing. Well, not desert. At that time, when it says wilderness, that was a fertile crescent. It was one of the most beautiful places in the world just because it looks like this today in certain places. does not mean that's exactly the way it looked back then. Much more lush. But anyway, let's think about this. Here they are, they're in a land. And in this land, they have nothing to eat. So they call out to God, and then there's this miraculous uh, bread-like substance, okay? And it's on the ground, and they can go get it. And it's somewhat sweet to the taste. And God provides this for them. And then they complain, and God gives them quail to eat. At every single turn, we see the hand of God. People... During the day, there is a cloud that is in front of them that goes up. And then at night, there's this pillar of fire that is moving, cloud during the day, fire by night, that they follow. When they were crossing the sea, this thing moves behind them and protects them from the Egyptians. If there was ever a people that saw the power of God, saw his move, his moving, and had every reason to say, yes, we know that he is God. They actually heard his voice from Mount Sinai. The earth shook. They have just been given God's commandments. Now Moses is up on the mountain for a period of time. You would think that maybe, just maybe for a week or two, they might walk with God, right? No. No. Is that because they're more wicked than any other people in the face? Absolutely not. But people, it does lend itself to understanding our fallen nature. How can you see and not believe? And people say, well, of course they believe. Well, how about this? How can you see and not be changed? You know, that's, that's really a powerful point. How can you behold and not in some way in your heart believe God? Okay, if you will, like I said, a dark moment, but this is a very important moment, and I want you to see it. So if you will, please turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, and we're going to look at some really neat stuff here. <coughs> so now think about this. Moses is up on the mountain, and while he is up there, God's given him all sorts of information about the tabernacle. God is actually going to bless artisans. Listen to what I'm saying here. Literally, God says, I'm going to put in them the ability to carve, to make. They are going to be making cherubim, creatures they have never seen unless God just revealed it to them in their minds. You know, of course, I believe there's spiritual revelation. But what I'm saying is that he's given them the ability to craft these things. So he's telling Moses about all this. Moses is up on the mountain, and the very commandments that God has given Moses, whenever he gets up there, he sees his hand appear, and, of course, 
God writes these Ten Commandments with his own hand, it says. Okay? So God does this. It's in stone. You know, that's where we get this whole idea of written in stone. So let's take a look at what happens. Now Moses is up there for quite a while, almost 40 days at this point. And they figure, well, Moses is dead. Well, if I figure that Moses might have died along the way, I, somebody should be praying, somebody should be talking to God, right? You know, we're, we're, we need to follow on and do what God wants us to do. Or, here, I've got a novel idea. Maybe we should start praying for Moses. But here we go. Chapter 32, starting in verse 1, God bless the reading of his word. It says, now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, from the mountain, the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. And remember this, Mount Moriah, Mount Sinai, same place, okay? This is the same place that God took Abraham to whenever he asked him to sacrifice his son and, of course, spared him. So anyway, it says he's up on the mountain, he delays coming down, and so the people go and find Aaron, the one that is going to be the high priest. And if you think about this, they've been left in the charge of Aaron, So they come to Aaron and they said to him, come, make us gods that shall go before us for this Moses fella, the man who brought us up. I love this. The man that brought us up out of, it's not like you haven't met. As for this, who's, you know, I've heard of this Moses fellow. You know, I've heard that he existed. This is hogwash. You know full well who Moses is. So anyway, they say, but as for this Moses fella, we don't know what's happened to him. This guy brought us out of Egypt. We don't know what became of him. Now listen to this. And Aaron said to them, now obviously they're complaining. Aaron says to them, break off the golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them here to me. Now let's go back for just a moment and just hear this. Come make us gods. People, what is the problem with that? Come make us gods. Don't everybody shout at once. Yeah. Okay, we just got Ten Commandments, right? And the first one was no other gods, period. He said, don't make images, no graven image. As a matter of fact, God went on to tell him, said, if you make an altar, don't you put a chisel on it. He says, I'll tell you what needs to be made. But he said, don't do that. No graven images whatsoever. That quicker than anything else will bring my judgment. And the first thing they do, Moses is going to be up there for about 40 days. And what ends up happening is they look at him and say, okay, we need idols now. Now, I know that we can read the story and I know that we understand that this is wrong, but people, this is scary. It's really scary. How can you not see? How do you not understand? What makes us think, after all that God's done, that we can just turn our backs on him? That we can just go our own merry way? Okay, God, appreciate it. Got us out of Egypt. You know, we thought it was better there anyway, but, you know, make us something else to worship. Give us something to bow down to. We have a need to worship, but we're not going to worship you, and we're not going to do it your way. Now, they may say that this is the God that brought him out of Egypt. They may try to claim that this is the Lord. The only problem is, is that it's not, and it's an image. So let's, let's go on with this. So Aaron told him to give him gold. So verse 3, it says, So all the people brought off their golden earrings. They were in their ears. They bring them to Aaron. 
Verse 4, and he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and he made a molded calf. Then he said, you ready for this? This is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. God's ever going to get angry. He's probably going to get angry at that one, right? Somebody basically sitting in his throne. Verse 5, so when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. See, here's the whole idea of mingling, mingling sin with the worship of God. It perverts it and it corrupts it all. So anyway, verse 6, it says, then they rose early the next morning. They offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat, to drink, and to Rise up and play. So they're having a good time. They're having them a little festival down there. And the Lord said to Moses, now listen, he's up on the mountain. So God says to him, he says, go get down. Now, people, this is emphatic. Does it have it up there? Let me look. Yeah, you see the exclamation point there? So you can even see it in the English version. This is a, a, a exclamation of God. God saying, enough, go get down. For the people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. All right, so let's see here. Verse 8, and they, it says, they have turned aside quickly out of the way I have commanded. Very quickly, by the way. It says, they've turned quickly from the way which I have commanded them, and they have made themselves a molded calf, and they have worshipped it. He, he points out here, this doesn't mean they're worshipping. They have worshipped it. And sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel. You might notice that God is lowercase there. This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. Indeed, they are a stiff-necked people. Okay. We've talked about being stiff-necked, but people in Scripture, this is an important term. It is not... See, to us, we hear the term stiff-necked. And it doesn't hit us that hard. People, this is about as bad as it gets. Okay? If you were to call somebody a very, very uh, derogatory and colorful term, it's going to hit just like this. Because what they are saying, God is saying, he says, these people are obstinate. They will not bow their heads. They look at me in pride. They refuse to bow to me. Their necks will not bow. They are stiff. All right. Now, right after he says this in verse 10, it's very sobering. It says, now therefore, he says, leave me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I will make of you a great nation. In other words, Moses, let's start over with you. Now, there's several reasons that have been theorized for this, but I want you to see this. He looks at Moses and he says, just leave me alone this time. And he says, I'm going to deal with them. And he says, Moses, I will start over with you. You want to know how powerful prayer is? Take a look, see. It's called intercession here. Verse 11, look at the heart of Moses. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord 
his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? He tells him, your wrath against your people, whom you have brought down out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to bring harm to them, to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and please relent. You know, don't do this. Don't harm your people. And then he says this. You ready for it? Remember, Mr. Rush back there. I remember we had a discussion talking about putting God in his uh, remembrance of his word. But listen to this. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Jacob, okay? Your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all the land that I have spoken of, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. Listen to the next word. So the Lord relented from his harm, which he had said that he would do to his people. So God has mercy. He has mercy at this time, but understand folks, it, you know, people look at it and say, well, God just changes his mind. No, 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 no. You need to keep reading. It's God shows mercy, but there are still consequences for actions. God knows who he is dealing with. So if you continue reading, listen, and Moses turned and went down the mountain, okay, with his two tablets of the testimony that were in his hand. So he's coming down. And in just a little while, I'm going to show you what God tells him. He says, you know, Moses, yes, I'm, I'm going to show some mercy here, but understand this, Moses, I'm still going to visit them. There will still be judgment for this. It's coming. It just won't be absolute destruction. So he comes down there with the tablets that were written on both sides. Verse 16, it says, Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on tablets. And when Joshua hears this noise, so they're coming down the mountain, Joshua, who had gone partway up there, he hears this noise down there in the valley where the people are, and uh, he hears the noise of the people as they shouted, and he said to Moses, Wait a minute, Moses, there is the noise of war in the camp. Look at what Moses says. He says, It is not the voice of a shout of victory, people. It's not what it is. You're not listening to people going to war or something like that. He said, nor is this the cry of defeat. He said, but this is the sound of singing I hear. In other words, you're hearing people at play. So it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot and he cast the tablets out of his hands and he broke them at the foot of the mountain people. Think about this, the vivid imagery of breaking the law. The vivid imagery of it. Boom! You know, now, now follow me. This wasn't one of those cool moments where you go, boom. Okay, that's not it. No, what I'm saying is he slams on. Y'all, y'all just aren't laughing at all, are you? Okay, we got it. So he destroys the tablets. I know I'm pitiful, everybody. Just work work with me here, okay? So he breaks them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they had made. He burns it in the fire. He grinds it to powder. He scatters it on the water. And he makes the children drink it. Children of Israel drink it. This is a sign of their punishment, okay? So anyway, verse 21, And Moses said to Aaron, What? What did this people do to you? 
that you have brought such a great sin upon them. Now look, Aaron begins to pass blame. So Aaron said, do not let your anger, anger of my Lord become hot. You know how these people are, that they are set on evil. You know, Moses' response is like, uh, hello, yes, and if they are, you're supposed to be the one keeping them in check. I mean, that's like coming home and seeing your house on fire, and, and I'm going to be nice, I'm going to make it the husband this time. So the husband was left in charge of the children, okay? And the wife comes home, she's been grocery shopping, and the house is on fire. And she looks at him and goes, what happened? What caused fire? You know how these kids are. You know how they like to play with matches? No, I had no idea, hubby. I, I guess you couldn't keep that one taken care of, right? But anyway, so moving on. Y'all, y'all sit there and laugh at these analogies, but they're going to stick with you. You watch it. So anyway, their minds are set on evil. Verse 23, for they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. And I said to them, if you have gold, break it off, give it to me. And I cast it into the fire. And look, now this is pretty cool when you think about it. Verse 24, I've cast it into the fire and, and a calf just come jumping out of it. Somebody might want to speak to Aaron. I, I'm like, Aaron, this, you know, you really need to go into politics, Aaron. You really do, you know, because that's, okay, anyway, moving on. So now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame, then Moses stood at the entrance of the camp and he makes proclamation. He said, if you're on the Lord's side, he says, step over here. He said, if you are determined to love God and serve him, if you're going to listen to him, he says, step over here. And it says, of course, the Levites go over to him. They weren't just the Levites because if you take a look, there's only 3,000 people that are going to be killed. There were other people, but Levi took the lead. And then Moses tells him, he says, strap your swords on. And he said, all these people that want to live in rebellion, he says, go wipe them out. Very, very powerful and yet painful thing to do. Now, if you look at verse 31, let's go down to 31. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, so he's saying, please, Please forgive their sin. But if not, I pray, God, just blot my name out of your book. So look at Moses for a minute. He tells God, he says, look, if you're not going to forgive them, he said, let me take their punishment. Just blot my name out. People, that's love. That's a great, great leader. And he says that, but notice what the Lord says in verse 33. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now, therefore, go, lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, that's capital A. Nevertheless, in that day, I will visit for punishment. I will do this because of their sin. So the Lord plagued his people after that. So what you see is God does relent. He does say, I'm not just going to wipe these people out, but there is consequence for their sin. Now, where are we? Is it already seven o'clock? You know, looking at me like, please just shut up. Okay, let me, let me just do one thing and then, then we'll go ahead and stop. Um, Let me tell you what's going to happen here, and then we'll look at it next week. 
Moses begins to plead with God. And he says, God, here's the deal. I know these people are stiff-necked. I know that they don't listen, but I'm asking you to show them mercy. And God, we need you. If you do not go with us, there's really no reason for us to go. So please, Lord, please go with us. And he's begging God. He's saying, please, show us mercy. Go with your people. Because God's warned him. He says, along the way, I'm about to consume you. Well, Moses pleads, and he says, please show mercy, and please go with us. And God tells him, he says, okay. He says, I'm going to go with you. And then Moses, whenever God says, you have found favor in my sight, Moses, I know you by name. Moses then asks for a very, very powerful thing. He then says to God, I want to see you. Show me your glory. And that, my ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to spare until next week. All right. Tonight, as the musicians are coming, we'll give everyone an opportunity to respond. And then we'll close up for choir practice. And here's what I would have you do. Whether you come to the altar tonight, and it certainly will be open for you to respond to God. If you need special prayer, of course, we will pray for you. Saints, think about this for a minute. Just what we've been sharing here tonight isn't just a historical lesson. It is a reflection. Once again, when you look at the Bible, it should reflect us. We should be looking at it and saying, wait a minute, you know, I can see myself in there at times. And if so, saints, if so, if we are so quick to forget the things that God has done for us. Now, I'm not saying that we're not saved, but I am saying this. Think about it. How quick we are at one moment to be on top of the world. We're marching for Jesus. We are going, you know, Lord, I'm ready to just go out there and bite a tank because I'm ready to take on the world. And then the next day, such a little thing will Make us forget the victory that God has brought into our life or the blessing that God has brought into our life. Do not let the things of this life rob you of what God has been doing in you. Don't let it happen. Remember the faithfulness of God. Hang in there because he who was faithful before will always be faithful to the end. Amen? So tonight, if you will stand, and those of you that might need special prayer... The altars are open from you. Love to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus, don't you walk out of here without him. But at the same time, whether you come to the altar or not, please humble your hearts before God and receive what he has for you. Oh, how he loves you and me.
praise the Lord. Thank you for being patient with me. I hope that you have been challenged in what has been shared tonight. And I hope you are strengthened in your Christian walk. Never, ever miss an opportunity to do good to somebody. Never miss that opportunity. Oh, yes, and we're going to spring forward. I thought we were going to do away with that. Aren't they supposed to do with that in like yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? We're going to rebel against the system. We're just going to keep falling forward and back, you know, whatever you want. As a matter of fact, you know what? We're, we're not even going to fall forward. We're going to just spring back every week. We'll just, okay, I'm just kidding. Anyway, the Lord bless you and keep you, and you are dismissed. Don't forget to spring forward this weekend.